to pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, today we're here worshiping you, but we're also asking that you challenge us, that you move us, that you grow us, that you make us deeper disciples. And as we open your word and as we think about you, may we do just that. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Within the first few months of me being married to my wife, Jen, we did something that most newlywed couples do. It's like a precursor to having children. You have to do this first. We got a dog. I mean, isn't that how it goes? You get a dog to see how well you'll be a parent, how good you'll be of a parent. In fact, once we had a dog, uh, we had some friends that came over and they, they, they said, we're going to judge you all day long today to see how well your dog has behaved because we know that's a direct reflection of how good of a parent you will be when you have real kids. So we had a dog. Uh, here's how we got her. We, we thought forever, what kind of a dog do we want? Do we, we talked about having a Yorkie and I was like, real men don't have Yorkshire Terriers. What is that? Excuse me, fellas, if you have Yorkies, it's okay. Your man card has been revoked. We talked about having Great Danes. I'm glad that didn't pan out. That would be terrible. Instead, we, we ended up finding a boxer. I love boxers. I feel like they're the best dogs ever. And we, we saw people with boxers. We um, met boxers. We played with them. We talked with them. And it's not that they talked back. We just had a good time with them. Finally, we, we went online and we found the Blue Ridge Boxer Rescue, rescue organization just for boxers that are in bad situations, and they'll pull them out and they'll put them in foster care, and then you, 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 you become their forever home as you get to have them. And so we went on the website and we looked through all the different puppy dogs. Some were old, some were young. We wanted a young one. So this boxer was only about eight weeks old, just a puppy puppy. And so we, we said, we want that one. So we filled out all the paperwork. They came and did a home visit to make sure it was okay that we had their dog. Um, it, this was intense. Finally, after all of that rigmarole, we got in our car, drove up over the Tennessee mountains, over into Asheville, North Carolina, to a gas station where the foster mom of this dog uh, decided to meet. So we get there. It's pouring rain. We met the lady. She opens the back door of the car, and we look inside, and in this little crate, is Magley. Here's a picture of Magley. Here's what she looks like. Come on, y'all. Man, one blue eye, one brown eye. What a sweet puppy. Ah, oh, she was awesome. We, Jen picked her up. She sat down in the, in the passenger seat. Magley curled up on her lap and just shook the whole time. Who were these new people taking her? Where were they taking her? And I got in the driver's seat and we drove home. The whole way home, she shook and shook and shook and shook. Jen just petted her, kept talking to her lovingly. And pretty soon, Jen, she, she realized as she was petting her and as her, her fur would kind of bristle up as she would move her hand across, that there were these little, little tiny little black animals that were running all over her skin. This makes you itch a little bit, doesn't it? She had fleas. So we got home, and the very first thing we did, we took her right to the bathtub and put her in there and got that shampoo, you know, the flea shampoo, and we scrubbed it and worked it into every square inch of her body until we got all those fleas off. That was the first of many, many baths that we gave this dog. In fact, our house, our rental house, was just down the road from this uh, new neighborhood development. 
And it was a big area with very big lots for very big homes. And because the lots were so expensive and the houses had to be such a, such a square feet and they were bigger than usual, it was pricey to live there. Not everybody could afford it. So there were only about three houses that were in this development, which means it was an awesome area to run our dog. And so we would take Magley there every day and she would just run through the tall grass and just have a blast. And now here's the thing. When it would rain, the history of this development would come to life in the form of smells because this farmland used to be fields where cows would roam. And as it would rain, the smells and the, the dampness in the soil would just kind of, uh, you, could, you could smell different things. Our dog Magley could smell them very well. In fact, every time it would rain and we would be walking there, she would run out into the middle of the field as far as she could go, we couldn't even see her anymore, and she would find the largest, juiciest cow patty. Do you know what those are? Y'all are city folk, aren't you? <laughs> I grew up on the farm. A cow pie? Mm-mm. It's just manure. She'd find it, and she would lean into it and roll around in it. Oh, she'd come out and just be covered in it. We'd put her in the back of our Toyota 4Runner and get her home, and she'd go into that tub, and we would scrub her and clean her up. Now, if it had been up to her, she would just live the rest of her life covered in that stuff. She loved to be stinky and smelly and gross, but that's not how it works when you have dogs. It's not how it works when you have children either. Today, as we continue talking about being you first, me second, we get a glimpse of what the posture of a true disciple looks like. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open them to John chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're new to the Bible and didn't bring one, there's a blue one that's in front of you, and you can follow along on page 763. You'll read the same words that I read, page 763. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context. The Passover time has, has come, it's the time when the Jews would celebrate their escape from the slavery of Egypt, and they're ready to celebrate. They're about to have a meal, and Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, and we see something incredible as we see his actions, the posture of a you-first, me-second disciple. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, here's what my Bible says. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Pause for a minute just to just imagine the scene. You've got the king of kings. You've got the savior of the world. You've got the manifestation of God in human form. He has all the power on the planet. He's the creator of the universe, and he gets up to kneel down to wash 
feet. I mean, that's gross. He does it anyway. In fact, in Greek, there's a little more meaning to this. John, the beloved, he writes this, he records this story, and he, he writes it in, in a way that I think there's more meaning to it. In fact, as John describes Jesus taking off his outer garment, he uses the word tithemi, to take off, but it's better translated as to lay down. Now, we don't say that in English. We don't say, uh, you know, like when you're going swimming, I, I don't tell my boys, hey boys, uh, lay down your, your, your shirts and let's jump into the pool. We don't say that. We say, take off your, your shirt and we'll jump into the pool. Yet I think John is trying to tell us something that's way beyond what Jesus is wearing and what he's doing with his clothing. I think John is telling us that Jesus is about to lay down his life for the salvation of the world. It's, it's just a few chapters later and it happens. John is saying that Jesus is about to lay down his royal, omnipotent, incorruptible, eternal life. He's giving it up for unworthy, unrighteous, undeserving humans so that he can save them for eternity. And he lays down his jacket. He lays down his coat to give us that example. John describes what's happening, and you see the humility of Jesus as he lays this down. It's, it's just this outer robe. Now, every picture you see of Jesus, it looks the same. He's wearing a white robe with a red sash, right? Right? Do you guys ever see pictures of Jesus? <laughs> so he's got this white robe, so he takes this off, and underneath he's got this, um, I, I kind of imagine it as burlap, although that sounds really painful on your skin, but maybe a tan, uh, longer shirt. It's like a tunic, maybe. It's, it's what slaves would wear. It's what servants would wear. He's got a nicer robe on the outside, but underneath he's got this slave attire. And so Jesus, the king of kings, takes off this royal robe, this beautiful thing, and he just wears what a servant wears as he kneels down, bends down, and he washes feet. His actions speak so much louder than words could say as he gives us the posture of what a you first, me second disciple looks like. His actions shout, this is what a disciple looks like. His actions say this posture is the posture of a servant. It's of others first. You first, me second. And Jesus, as he's washing the disciples' feet, he has a conversation with Peter. And you can read it in verse 6. Here's what he says. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I don't know. Did he have athlete's foot? Maybe he had bunions real bad. Maybe he hadn't trimmed his nails in a while. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Verse 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will. Verse 8, no, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Peter can't handle the fact that the Messiah is going to kneel down and wash his feet. That's not what kings do. Kings tell the servants to do that. Yet this king is willing to be a servant for the sake of humanity. And as, as Peter is pushing back, I pause for a minute. Peter refuses to have Jesus wash his feet. Oh, you're not washing my feet, Peter says. And I wonder if Peter pushes back because he doesn't feel worthy. We know Peter. 
He's this loud, outspoken pushback. He's, he, he's, he, he, he's a rebel. And I wonder if he feels unworthy. You know, in the Adventist church, I think that one of the biggest struggles that we ever face is this feeling of unworthiness. I mean, at some level, it's merited. None of, not one of us can do anything to be saved. Uh, not one of us is worthy of the righteousness of Jesus. But that's the beauty of it. We have to rely on someone that is righteous to do it. You know, there's another group of us here this morning that, that we don't struggle with this idea of being worthy or not. But instead of having Jesus wash our feet, we'd rather, like my dog, sit in the filth that we live in. We don't want to admit that we live in sin. We don't want to admit that we do wrong. And so instead of going to Jesus and saying, I'm dirty and I do need you to clean me, we'd just rather just, just sit in it. There's a whole other group in our church. Uh, it's, it's a group of people that love the idea of cheap grace, where we love the grace. I mean, Jesus is wonderful, and we're so glad that, that he gives it to us, gives us grace. He'll forgive us. He always will, yet we're unwilling to do the hard heart work of saying, God, I'm a sinner, and I, and I've, I need to confess this, and I want to repent this, and I seek your forgiveness. Instead, we'd rather just be named clean rather than actually being washed clean. And as Peter talks with Jesus and at first refuses Jesus' humble, you first act, Jesus gives us a taste of what the life of a disciple looks like because he has this conversation with Peter about what gets washed. He basically talks to Peter about the idea of rebaptism. This afternoon, after church, after I go home and grab some food, I'm headed up to Camp Kalakwa because the adventurers are there on their camp out. In fact, I kind of wish they were here because there's a special thing after communion for kids. So pay attention, kids. You'll want to hear this a little bit later. Um, but I'm going up there, and at this evening, I get to baptize two of our young leaders in our church. Here's a picture of them on the screen for you. This is Christian and Danny Farrell. Farrell. Man, I can never remember which one it is. Farrell. Thank you. Linka's two kids. They're awesome. Christian and Danny. Christian is a fine young man. You'll see him as a leader over at Forest Lake Education Center. And Danny's a sweetheart too as she follows her brother's lead. Now they wanted to be baptized in the spring at Kalakwa, which I'm a little bit nervous about because I've never been in that spring. And I'm not worried about gators or moccasins or anything. Well, I'm a little worried about what the water is going to be like, you know? Some, Paul, Paul Lauer this morning was like, hey Matt, it's a, it's a warm mineral spring. Just be prepared. It's nice and warm. And I'm glad he said I'm kidding because apparently it's like 70 degrees year round. So that will be exciting today as we get in there. But I'll tell you what, I know there are deep spots in there and Christian and Danny will be fully immersed. Their, our whole, their whole body will be wet. They'll go all the way under the water. They will be completely washed clean. And Jesus says to Peter, hey Peter, I'm just gonna wash your feet because you've already been baptized. You've already given your heart to me. And man, I wish that more Adventists realized this. So often, I think Adventists, we, we, we get baptized and we feel like it's a graduation, like we, now we're washed clean and we'll never sin again. How long does that last? Five minutes? And then we think, man, I'm a failure for the rest of my life and now I'm on this, this train of failure, so like, I guess, I'm, I guess I'll, I'll, never, I'll never be good enough or maybe I'll have to get rebaptized later. When in reality, Jesus sets the tone. He says, look guys, every time we do foot washing, it's a rebaptism. It's a time for you to say, Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm not perfect, and, and I've, I've failed here, 
and I don't want to do that anymore, and I seek your forgiveness. And when we wash feet, it's another baptism. It's a beautiful picture of what grace is like and forgiveness, how it, it continues to happen. You know, when we have foot washing, at least my family, I love to do it with my family. My wife and I have always done it since we've been married, but now with my two boys, we always go as a family, and we'll find a place, and all four of us will we'll get together, and we'll have a prayer together, and we'll, we'll confess and repent, and then we get to wash each other's feet. This morning in first service, I got to join a, a, a young man, and we went to the, the Connection Center, and we washed feet together, and we had that same moment where we prayed together. And you'll have that chance here in just a few moments too, but it's what a rich feeling to be washed clean again. Jesus says, you don't need a whole re-baptism again. Just clean the dirty parts. Clean the stinky parts. And we all know that some of y'all's feet are stinkier than others. You know what I mean? <laughs> Verse 12, the story continues. Here's what it says. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He says, do you not understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than your, his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus says, I've set you an example. Here's what it is. Humble yourself, others first, kneel down and wash somebody else's feet. And he says, if you do, you will be blessed. I love it when Jesus gives it just plain as day. He just tells us like it is. He says, this is the posture of what a disciple looks like. Someone that is humble enough to kneel and wash somebody else's feet. This morning, before we have the opportunity to do foot washing, there are two groups of people that I feel have application this morning. And as I was thinking about our church this last week, these are the two groups that came to mind. The first are those that are dirty with sin. That's everybody. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us. All of us need to be washed and be cleaned. In fact, um, that verse, I think it's in Isaiah where it says, all our righteous acts, like the things that we try to do to be clean, are like filthy rags. There's nothing we can do to be clean except for relying on Jesus to clean us. We're all filthy. We all need to be cleaned. The other group is this. It's the group of, uh, that is here. It's probably not everyone, although I think all of us could resonate at some level. It's the group that needs to clean someone else's feet and forgive them. There's so much um, unrest in the world right now. There's so much hurt and pain, and I don't know exactly what you've experienced or faced in the last week, months, years, but there's hurt Maybe you disagreed with somebody over COVID and masks and whatever it is. Maybe you need to go wash their feet, if, even if it's not physically, to say, I'm going to forgive them in my heart. Uh, maybe it's something in your marriage that you have been uh, treated unfairly, and you've been hurt. Uh, maybe you've hurt somebody else. Maybe you need to forgive somebody uh, in your marriage. Maybe it's at work and there's drama there, and you've experienced something. You were judged unfairly. You were treated unfairly. Maybe it's time to wash somebody else's feet as you forgive them. I don't know who it is here this morning that needs to hear that. Maybe it's time that you forgive somebody else and wash their feet.